Hello, everyone. Welcome to the AMT Tech Trends podcast, where we discuss the latest manufacturing technology research and news. Today's episode is sponsored by AM Radio. I am Benjamin Moses, the Director of Technology, and I'm here with... Stephen Lamarca, AMT's Technology Analyst. Steve, how you doing? I'm doing well. A couple of days before we shuttle off to IMTS? Yeah. Let's talk about travel prep strategies. I don't have a strategy. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm just, I, I just get nervous, yeah. and then one night I can't sleep, and I decide <laughs> to pack instead. And that's probably what's going to happen. I'm, I'm most concerned about how I'm going to pack shoes. That's fair. I'm only packing three shoes. Only three and, shoes. Well, I'm only packing two shoes. I'm right. going to be wearing the third pair. Um, always got to fly with loafers. Okay. With slip-ons, rather. Slip-ons. Like, keep That's- it easy. Yeah, we're all adults now, and we all have TSA pre-checks, so there's no reason to be able to take off your shoes. But, you know, some of us fly uh, United Polaris and want to be able to kick back and relax. Sure. I'm just kidding. I never <laughs> fly. This is the only time. Um, and it's only because I saved up, like, rewards points. But, um yeah, I, uh, I'm going to be bringing this kind of fun. Um, I'm bringing two pairs of shoes, um, dressier shoes. Okay. Uh, Wolverine thousand mile work boots, which sure they sound, they don't sound like dress shoes, but in today's day and age where nobody actually, you know, wears proper made work boots to right. work. Right. Um, they are dress shoes and they'll, they'll, they'll be placed nicely in, uh, on the floors of IMTS. Um, and of course, American made, well, the Wolverines are also American made, but also to keep the, 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 the keep the American made going, um, Allen Edmonds park avenues in number eight. Wow. So the significance behind both of these shoes. <laughs> sure. Is both American made. Good. And they both use leather sourced from, the Horween leather tannery okay. in Chicago. Oh, that we talked about that. So yeah. I'm kind of pumped about that. And yeah. they're both number eight. I really love the color number eight. There's, I have no idea what you just said. It's basically <laughs> just like a purplish brown. <laughs> yeah, I know. There's uh, two things that I like to do. One is uh, for my toiletries. I actually duplicate all my toiletries except for uh, my brush and uh, razor handle because I use um, a disposable um, uh, double-edged razors. Yeah. So I have duplicate soap. I have duplicate uh, Q-tips, all that stays packed and it stays independent of what I use daily. So that's awesome. And I'm ready to leave. Uh, the toiletries are like the biggest pain. Yeah. Because you can pack two days in advance. You still have to unzip everything <laughs> to put the bag of toiletries in there. Exactly. Unless you have a duplicate. Yep. So that's smart. So if, uh, the reason I don't pack the uh, br- a toothbrush is because I have electric toothbrush. I'm not buying a second electric toothbrush. Yep. The other one uh, I'm doing a little bit different is uh, electronic charging. So I actually have a uh, USB power distribu- distribution block has like five USB ports. Nice. That way I can bring, I take that to the hotel. So there's a strategy for charging all my stuff at the hotel, but also I'm packing separate stuff uh, to be on site at IMTS. So whatever I have that uh, I need to charge at my desk, make sure I have enough power distribution either from the laptop or I'm going to bring another brick to bring it into my desk. So, right. um, so I can charge during the day. Cause normally uh, if I'm at a conference, I'm attending, I actually carry like a, um, a portable battery. So I can throw that in the bag. That's smart. And then just charge the laptop as I'm walking around or charge the uh, phone as I'm walking around. But gotcha. I'm going to bring a, a battery because we're going to film uh, a bunch of uh, exhibitors also. So I'm going to walk around quite a bit. So I will bring the like small uh, battery that can charge while I'm walking. Uh, but in this case, I'm going to bring uh, two separate charging stations. That's cool. And that's smart. And I, that reminds me, I totally forgot. McCormick has those fancy little uh, 
vending machines for rental charge device charging batteries. Oh, that's cool. Yep. You remember that? No, I don't. Really? I, I remember seeing that in IMTS 2016, 2018, and of yep. course the all the fab techs that I've been to right. at McCormick. I always thought that was so cool. I never rented one. Yeah. Um and this year I'm really fortunate that I have a phone that does like a day and a half of battery. <laughs> so I'm not worried about that at all. But the computer so my strategy fell apart a little bit on my, uh, I took a trip to Virginia Tech. Uh, we're doing a, a project right. with the undergrad student there, which is fascinating because, you know, a bunch of years ago when we first launched MT Connect, mm-hmm. a lot of the projects were PhDs and uh, masters. Right. Now we're trickling down to undergrad students for the senior project, being able to pull data off like a Tormach and a Stratasys. That's and awesome. that's a senior project for this year. Uh, so I drove down there, four hour drive, three, three hour, whatever, a couple hour drive. But when I was packing, um, the duplicate deodorant I had ran was empty. So the container was empty. So I got all the way to Virginia Tech and I realized no deodorant. No DO. Which I mean it's a toilet tree is fine. I could solve that problem there. But it was one of those things where I put so much effort into planning and everything was streamlined for the first seven months of the year. But then I uh haven't traveled in about a month and a half or so and everything fell apart now. So which is good because uh now for IMTS I'm more prepared. I can go prepare everything. But on the way back, my car had some issues. Oh, and I just want to bring it up because uh, it's a uh, it's a very entertaining uh, scenario. So it's a hybrid machine. And on the way back, uh, it threw a code. So I could see the uh, uh, malfunction indicator lamp came on and uh, it wouldn't go into hybrid mode. So it stayed purely IC the entire drive back, which the way it should be. (laughs) I had it set to um, uh, maximize uh, fuel economy. So I got like 36 miles to the gallon just on IC mode. Wow, that's not bad. That's great. Um, and if I had the hybrid mode, it would get a little bit more cause it would shut off when I'm just, uh, you know, cruising or off the gas. So I probably could have squeezed in a couple of more miles a gallon that way, but, uh, came back and, uh, you know, I bought it from CarMax. So I said, Hey, CarMax, my thing's broken. Can you take a look at it? They said, no, we don't look at hybrids. I was like, okay, this is a, a thing you, you, you sold me and you said you could look at, but you're not going to look at fine. So it's a Porsche. I take it to the Porsche dealership. I know oh. it's going to be expensive. Uh, so um, I had them, you know, I want them to, they have to read the code and, uh, diagnose it and stuff. So go through that entire process. And during that process, I dropped off before my, uh, I took a vacation down to Williamsburg. Yeah. So as I'm driving down, um, I'm getting info about the updates and they're finding everything wrong, which is fine. I expect that, uh, the battery's old, the tires are completely shot, which I, <laughs> I didn't realize that because the car sits so low and I, I normally look at the tires, but the alignment has been off and the inside wall has been wearing out. So, okay, that's fine. Uh, those are wear and tear items. Yeah. I, w- I expected that to be changed. Uh, so then they got to the uh, core of the issue and there's an issue in the, um, I think the, um, energy conversion. So the, um, the DC, um, inverter or something like that's broken. Uh, guess how much that one unit is to replace. I have, I have rough labor costs and, uh, so parts. my guess is going to sound excessive, you can and I me. bet you it comes up short. Sure. 3K. That doesn't cover the cost of the part. Oh, my God. <laughs> the cost of the part is $5,000-ish to install the parts. Full in. $14,000, Steve. <laughs> I was scrolling through the text messages. I'm like, oh, good. They diagnosed. What? <laughs> oh, my God. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, Ben. So, uh, luckily I have an extended <laughs> warranty through CarMax and that's 14 oh, K is covered through the extended warranty, which you have to pay the deductibles $300. So. Okay. So, <laughs> so you get it serviced at the dealership, yes. but CarMax covers 
So I, yeah, I bought the extended warranty through CarMax and Smart. they'll reimburse it. You so. watched Doug DeMiro, didn't you? <laughs> but the funny thing is uh, the car, uh, the um, uh, extended warranty will cover the parts and labor for that, but they don't cover taxes. So I have to pay 5% on the $14,000 <laughs> still. <laughs> I'd, take the money and run. <laughs> so Steve, it was a very entertaining experience as I was driving down. Deep was like, "How? what happens if you didn't have extended warranty? I don't know. I'll just live with it. <laughs> just we're, reset we're paying twenty k, fifteen twenty. Oh my um, god, Steve! I, I couldn't believe. How long? Like, how long does that car max warranty last? I have another ten thousand miles. Okay, so and then another ten thousand miles till new car, <laughs> <laughs> and then they sell it back to them. <laughs> exactly, sell it back to them. <laughs> so they've that, scammed enough rubes. <laughs> you'll be fine. Oh man, that was that was a very entertaining weekend. That's terrifying, but yeah. I'm glad you're coming out on top. Supposedly, I'm into Porsche. Does anyone come out on top on a Porsche? <laughs> Ten years from now, I mean, you do temporarily. Temporarily, I mean to win. I'm, I'm still glad we uh, got the extended warranty. I'm, that was smart. So we'll see. So I'm gonna drop it off uh, on the way to IMTS, and then hopefully they'll get everything fixed. Uh, I, I only mentioned Doug Demiro because he's a YouTuber, and he bought um, an Aston Martin V8 v- uh, Vantage. Yep. Um, like 2008 or 2006, something like that. One of the most beautiful cars ever made. It's It was one of my dream cars. Um, but Aston Martin, being an English company and a luxury supercar company, it's one of the most unreliable brands right. like, like you can imagine. The V12 um, version that uh, Aston used for the longest time, uh, well, the V12 that Aston used for the longest time, was two Ford V6s, mm-hmm. 60 degree V6s, essentially welded together. Yeah. Um, and it nearly put them under. Now they <laughs> now like they're partnered with Mercedes, um, and Mercedes sources their engines now. But uh there was a there was a dark period where they were working with Ford, but their designer had the best designs yeah. ever. Um but anyway, he uh bought like a V8 he bought the cheapest Aston Martin V8 Vantage on the market right. from CarMax and bought their unlimited mile bumper to bumper warranty. That's right. I remember that. And at the it, it, I think unlimited mile, but it only lasts a year. Right. And after a year, he queued up some ridiculous amount of money. I think it was a hundred thousand dollars in repairs. <laughs> Jeez. It's a whole and, new car at that point. Yeah. But the warranty. Steve, that was awesome. Uh, Let's hear more about our sponsor. AM Radio is the new podcast from Additive Manufacturing Media. Join editors Pete Zielinski, Stephanie Hendrickson, and Julia Heider as they share stories of companies succeeding with 3D printing today. Talk about emerging trends and discuss the future opportunities and potential for AM in the context of the larger manufacturing landscape. New episodes are published every other week. Subscribe now on Apple or wherever you listen to podcasts. Tune into Additive. And we'll see them at IMTS. We will see them at IMTS. My second favorite podcast, by the way. Would you get their autograph? Would that be awkward? I don't need their autograph because I got their pizza. Uh, Except for Stephanie's. (laughs) (laughs) See if I got a bunch of articles. And the first one I'll kick it off with is uh, robotics and automation. And I was thinking about uh, automation. I mean, robotics in general. And I think there's two barriers that uh, a lot of companies have. One is the return on investment. If they're going to spend 200K on a solution, you know, can they get that money back in a certain time frame? And the other side is, I think, is uh, maybe not spoken about in the preparation side is the safety. 
I think everyone's always considered cobots are a thing, which is cool, but it's a, it's a design solution. And, you know, jumping to saying I want a cobot right away is probably skipping a few steps. Yes. So I think, you know, uh, the article I found from um, automation assembly, I'm um, sorry, assembly magazine uh, talks about um, the need for um, um, risk assessment and kind of the standards out there related to it. Uh, so it talks about the RIA 15.06-2012. Is that uh, standard. a standard or a product number? That's a standard. Okay. A SKU number. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and you know, the steps going through the risk assessment. Uh, so the first one is, you know, identifying uh, the tasks, um, then hazards and risk level and performance level category uh, of the safeguards uh, for compliant risk mitigation. So basically the first step is, you know, what are the risks? And it's basically going through the manufacturing process, uh, but also to looking at, you know, what if scenarios. I think that's very useful. So we used to do um, F- FMEA, Fairly Mode's uh, Effects Analysis and Design Engineering. So if I had a product, if it failed, what's the cascading effects of that failure? And then come back and how do I mitigate those high-ranking risks? Uh, so if you've done that type of process, this is very similar. The article goes about uh, some good, you know, probing questions right off the bat. You know, what is the robot doing? How fast is it moving? Uh, robot might be picking, picking up a part and placing it somewhere. Can a, a worker's hands uh, get in the way? Are there pinch points? Mm. Uh, and also it talks about the um, environment around it. So, you know, if there is there an abrasive disc spinning at 10,000 RPMs, are there lo- uh, noise uh, considerations in the environment? So I thought it was a very good, um, I think it's very useful to look at preparation for I'm going to buy a robot. You know, take a look at the safety standards and being prepared to understand how to do a risk assessment and going about and uh, mitigating those risks. So that was a good article and always pointing back to the uh, standard. So awesome. You got one on from Hackaday. From Hackaday. They, I really love their articles because, yeah, they're like consumer focused. Sure. But they go into a lot of detail that I wish a lot of the industrial publications would go into. Right. But they have one, Nevermore, the title is Nevermore is what you get when engineers design air filters for 3D printers. (laughs) And it's basically an article on a company or a team of engineers, rather, that designed an air, air filtration solution for home 3D printers, specifically plastic 3D printers, polymer right. 3D printers. Yep. And Nevermore is a new air filter designed specifically for 3D printers. It was created by a team of engineers who were frustrated with the lack of options for filtering out fine uh, particles generated by 3D printers. Nevermore, The Nevermore filter uses a combination of HEPA and activated carbon filters to remove particles down to 0.3 microns in size. It also has a built-in fan to keep air moving and prevent particles from settling on surfaces. The Nevermore filter is available for purchase now and ships with a one-year warranty. So what's cool about this filter, they really did put a lot of thought into it. Um, When you buy the product, it comes with the integral fan to Mm -hmm. keep airflow inside your 3D printer or even outside if you have one of those that doesn't have an, like an enclosure. Yep. One of my neighbors has one. I see it through their window. <laughs> it's never working. But, I'm, know, I'm that's, glad, that's the life of a consumer 3D printer, I'm pretty sure, though. I'm glad you're looking through the window. Dude, <laughs> I, I walk a dog. You know, It's not just me being a voyeur. Charlie's a voyeur, too. Um, but uh, it has a, van, a fan to circulate air. Um, it has what they mentioned, a, a, a HEPA filter. I'm, I'm assuming it's a paper right. or, or a fiber, 
uh, filter. But the coolest part is this is a serviceable filter, right? In that you can swap out the activated carbon. That's cool. Um, and I'm a big fan of activated carbon filters. They the 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 article also goes into the detail on how to buy the right activated carbon for your filter. Yep. Um, apparently. There is you want acid free activated carbon Mm -hmm. is some activated carbon comes from the supplier acid washed. You don't want that. Right. Um, I honestly have no idea what kind of activated carbon is in my car filters, (laughs) air filters. I I don't have one in the engine air filter, but I'm a big fan of one of the cheapest brands out there Mm -hmm. that gets knocked a lot. Fram. Sure. Um, They make, in my opinion, the best car air filters okay and they use activated carbon the oem filter for my car does not have activated carbon in it but it neutralizes any awful smell that you may have so i'm a big fan of that stuff you know i also do like the uh underlying theme right there's a pretty big difference in industrial equipment versus the consumer grade like there's a ton of consumer grade when just open air printing all that gas and stuff has to go somewhere right so if you're printing right next to your desk for hours on end you may want to consider what gases are coming out right. of that machine. So, and, and, and that stuff smells, which is okay in an industrial application. Right. But if this is in your home for a right. home 3D printer, you want that activated carbon, baby. <laughs> like uh, another case in point, like I have a fancy Dyson vacuum cleaner. Sure. It has three filters, two of which are HEPA filters. Right. But it's got three filters in that thing. The thing stinks <laughs> because true. there's no activated carbon. That's true. The uh, article I have is uh, somewhat uh, connected to yours. So it's from uh, Washington State. Uh, There's a local news um, channel that reported on uh, Washington State University is doing research on converting plastic waste into 3D printing material. So the article goes over, you know, the massive amount of plastics that's still being uh, thrown away, not recycled properly. So, you know, they're estimating 300 tons of uh, material just tossed away. Um, and, you know, it takes roughly 100 years to decompose. So the, one of the problems statements is it's sitting around, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think additive is doing this in general is making more a circular economy for their yeah. material. Uh, so what they're trying to do is can they do anything with this material, this material source? Uh, so in their experiment, they transformed um, this uh, the waste um, into um, single um, long chains of uh, plastic. Um and creating uh, resin out of it that we can use for 3D printers. Um, so I thought it was a very good, um, you know, short um, development for them. So what they're doing is um, uh, short term, can they use this for resin for 3D printers? Next, they want to kick it off to get to PET for plastics um, and get into some of the higher grade uh, filaments uh, for 3D printing. So it's a, it's a good uh, use case on um, recapitalizing raw material and, uh, Hopefully they uh, develop this further. That is cool because there was an article not too long ago about either a university or another company that was specifically focusing on PET, plastic bottles, because we have a huge epidemic of plastic bottles being Mm -hmm. just thrown away, used for like one time use plastic bottles. And then um, and there's some other either university or company that that is looking to recycle plastic bottle specifically for 3d printing that's cool so you've got an article from tota with the t yes yes not the d um but from direct industry news toyota toyota <laughs> launches the cdi 120 new automated warehouse solution 
Um, so Toyota launched the CDI 120, a new automated warehouse solution. The CDI 120 is an AGV that is designed to work with Toyota's existing automation, automated storage and retrieval system, ASRS, to create a completed automated or a complete automated warehouse solution. The CDI 120 is capable of handling up to 120 containers per hour. Oh, there's where the name comes from <laughs> um, and can be used in a variety of applications, including distribution centers, manufacturing plants and retail stores. Nice. So I just thought this was cool because we've seen a lot of these come about. This is by no means new. Right. Like right. many companies have done this. Right. I like seeing I guess I am a Toyota fanboy. I like seeing that Toyota is getting into this because I can almost guarantee that it's the most reliable one out there. <laughs> but because it is, you know, Toyota and like other Japanese companies, not just car companies, but, you know, cough, cough, fanic too. <laughs> yes, it's reliable, but because it's Japanese, they're very, you know, protective of their IP. Yep. So it's going to be tough to crack into. And I'm, I, I'd be curious as to, how nice it plays with automation products sure. from other companies. Yeah, that's fair. And that, and it's funny, you know, we were joking earlier about uh, like the cars themselves, like Toyota, mm-hmm. how uh, someone's going to hack into it and reflash the ECU. Oh, yeah. to get you want to reflash more that ECU? You're going to have to wait six months <laughs> because they're going to have to crack it. They're going to put some stickers on it, get five more horsepower out of it. <laughs> put a and n filter on it. We may have to talk to Nevermore about it. Or K&N might be talking to Nevermore about making a K&N filter for 3D printers. And it, and I think this extends your philosophy because you really like uh, Hyundai because they bought um, Boston Dynamics and a bunch of other automation robotic arm companies. And they've insourced a lot of their automation. So I think uh, seeing these large companies extend their um, manufacturing technology is pretty cool. I wouldn't own one yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if in the future I do own a Hyundai. They've come a long way. They've on their come so far. Electronic vehicles recently too. Have yeah, you, they look their sharp. EVs are nice. They look really sharp. It's like a while back we talked about how Hyundai and Apple were mm. were working on a partnership for Apple's iCar sure. or whatever they were yeah. going to call it, and I think we're looking at like you know the grandfathers to that right now because they have an electric car out there. I forget what it's called. It's like a five door sure. hatchback. It looks sharp. It looks and the wheels are really cool. Now that you bring that, up, it does look like uh, a collaboration with Apple. It's yeah. very Apple esque in the design. It doesn't have the Apple logo on it yet, but it's going to be there. The, the iconic five. Is that what it's called? Maybe. Oh, whatever. Yeah, it's a Hyundai. The last article I have is about trusted data. So you know. We're, when you're talking about AGVs, you're transmitting data all over the place, um, issuing commands, finding its location. Um, and obviously, as Industry 4.0 becomes super mature and saturated in the market, the reliance on data for not just running machines, but uh, collecting data and harvesting that for business processes, that's grown uh, you know, exponentially, right? And yes, uh, the reliance on data has just become more and more uh, heavily weighted. And the article they have from uh, CPO Magazine talks about cybersecurity and kind of the need for uh, operational technologies and information technologies to start harmonizing uh, how they approach security. Uh, so IT, uh, so like securing your office, your printers, um, you know, people working, just doing Word documents, that's fairly mature and that constantly evolves. Right. Um, 
applying those IT practices to the operational technology, that's where we start running into hiccups. And that's where we see a lot of limitations and a lot of workarounds that are um, that can be exploited very easily. So the article gives a pretty good uh, use case of as we further develop our um, data maturity models for uh, manufacturing, um, cybersecurity has to be uh, riding on its coattail so we can continue trusting the data. So there's a lot of... Um, uh, spoofing of data. So if I'm transmitting like um, STL files to a printer, there's a lot of uh, uh, research papers to tr- try and embed flaws into those um, STL files. A lot of that comes from, um, you know, the Department of Defense type uh, um, scenarios. But to be honest, as that scenario matures, obviously they're going to test it on commercial applications too, right? So the idea of um, uh, manufacturing undetectable flaws is a fairly big risk in the manufacturing sector. So you have a bunch of uh, uh, processes that are being put in place, like CMMC uh, is a big one to say, do you have uh, security in place and are you following the practices? But this article gets in a little, little more depth about the, um, the the depth and need for um, more secure technologies mm. as we go forward. So, um, yeah, something to think about, you know, preparation of um, if you are um, attacked by ransomware, do you have insurance? How fast can you recover? I think the NIST uh, cybersecurity framework is still a very good starting point to understand where your threats are um, and uh, how you move forward from there. And, you know, in the end, you're still running a business. So you have, you know, how do you continue running a business under attack and how do you prevent um, liable issues from something that, uh, uh, you know, spoofed uh, against you? So I thought it was a good good takeaway, you know, piggyback off the AGVR uh, article where you've got tons of data. What happens if you get For hacked sure. and they just start, you know, moving your bots around? Yeah. How do you protect that IP? <laughs> exactly. So, Steve, I'm ready to fly. I'm not. <laughs> I'm. I'm really. Don't get me wrong. I'm really excited for this IMTS. I'm gonna be. We're you're so gonna be so busy. Yeah. But it's gonna be a blast. It's gonna be amazing to have an IMTS again. Right. In person, and we've been to some trade shows earlier this year, and they were awesome. Right. So. Naturally, IMTS is going to be the best. It's going to be great. It's just going to be the Disneyland of manufacturing. <laughs> well, I look forward to seeing everyone there. Yes, sir. Steve, where can they find more info about us? amtonline.org slash resources. Cool. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.